this morning we're going to consider prophecy and its fulfilment. Our passage is 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 12 through to 21. The reason for the Apostle Peter's second epistle is as relevant today as it ever was and that reason is false teachers. As Peter said to his readers in chapter 2 and verse 1, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. The situation as it now is, nearly 2,000 years later, is that false teachers are still a big problem. They are infiltrating churches, they are preaching a gospel that is not the gospel of Christ, and they are teaching many other false doctrines. They titillate, they mesmerise, and they beguile their audiences as they entertain them with their witty anecdotes and with their inoffensive social gospel. No small number of professing Christians drink in their lies, and the reason they do so is because they have no discernment, and that is because their knowledge of God and of the Scriptures is flaky, to say the least. I occasionally get people who have come under the spell of false teachers lecturing me about my calling on sinners to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul warned the Corinthian Christians about false apostles, whom he described as deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. As a Christian, I have met two people who claim for themselves the title of Apostle. One of them lives on this island, and I would not encourage anyone to listen to either of them. Suffice to say that the Apostles of Jesus were men who established the early church. They formulated the doctrine that is recorded in the New Testament and which we study at our Bible studies. And under the Lord Jesus Christ, <clears throat> they are the foundations of the church, with Jesus being the chief cornerstone who holds all things together. Anyone nowadays who calls himself an apostle most certainly does not tick any of those boxes. Paul warned the evangelist Timothy about false teachers and those whom they entertain. He urged him to remain faithful to the scriptures when he said to him, I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts 
shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. Coming to Peter's second epistle now, in chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, he said, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. That word wherefore points to what Peter has been reminding his readers of in the previous verses, namely, as Christians, they had been allotted a like precious faith. Likewise, you as a believer in Jesus do not have a faith that is in any way inferior to that of the apostles. It is the same. If indeed you have truly shown repentance towards God, and you have truly received Jesus as your Saviour and your Lord. As a Christian, you don't just have a head knowledge of God. You know him as your Heavenly Father, and you know his dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as your Saviour. God has bestowed to you everything that you need for life and godliness. You are a partaker of the divine nature. In other words, as a Christian, you really are a child and priest of the Most High God, having been begotten unto a lively hope by the resurrection of his only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it is that by the grace of God and with the Holy Spirit working in you, you do certain things that false Christians uh, teachers and counterfeit Christians as a whole do not do. For example, you give diligence to add to your God-given faith all the virtues that were considered last week. Virtue or praise, knowledge of God's will, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness and love. The false teachers and the counterfeit Christians would not think to add those things to their faith because they have no like faith to add to in the first place. If you are someone for whom all those Christian truths really are sewn into the very fabric of your soul, and if you really are adding to your faith, not in your own strength, but by the grace of God and in his strength, Peter is bringing those things to remembrance so that you do not fall prey to false teachers who are wolves in sheep's clothing. There is nothing new about what Peter is saying. It is not a case of him introducing some new revelation, but rather he is reinforcing the same old truth. And you need to have that truth clearly stamped in your mind heart and in your life so that you do not fall prey to false teachers and their heresies. As the Bible commentator Albert Barnes said, it was important for Peter 
to bring known truths to remembrance. Believers are apt to forget them and then they do not exert the influence that they ought. I know how forgetful I am. Sad to say, especially when it comes to the word of God. And I have no reason to think that you are any different. Therefore, we all need to be reminded over and over again of the glorious truth, such as the Calvary love of God and the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that means rereading the same old scriptures, hearing the same old sermons and looking to God to stamp his truth indelibly into our hearts and minds. The ancient Israelites most certainly needed to be reminded. For example, before entering into the promised land, Moses said to them, Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command thee this day, lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied then thine heart be lifted up and thou forget the Lord thy God which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Despite those words from Moses, they did, nevertheless, forget the goodness of God towards them. They apostatized, and they were taken into captivity. In verse 14, Peter said, Knowing that shortly I must put off this, my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ have showed me. By the time that Peter wrote this epistle, he was an old man and he knew that he would soon depart to be with Jesus, which is far better. One thing that never needed to be brought to his remembrance was something that Jesus had said to him about 30 years earlier and which is recorded in John's Gospel. In John chapter 21 verse 18, Jesus spoke of how Peter <clears throat> Peter would eventually die. And he said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou be, shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. With those words etched in Peter's mind's mind, there were no thoughts of retirement before his death. With a painful martyrdom certain and imminent, he resolved to spend the remainder of his time reminding the readers of the glorious gospel truths until such time that he exchanged his tabernacle for a heavenly mansion. That reminds me of the Son of God who, according to John chapter 1 and verse 14, was made flesh and dwelt amongst men. 
In other words, Jesus pitched his tent or his tabernacle in the world, where tabernacle signifies a sojourn or temporary stay. And that stay ended when Jesus ascended to heavenly glory, having been lifted up to die on a wooden cross, bearing away the sins of all who trust in him. I've known many Christians who have done no more than tabernacle in this world, and they have remained busy in Christian service right up until their call to glory. May it please the Lord for that to be the case with all who trust in Jesus and call on his name. In verse 15, we see that Peter's concern for Christians extends beyond his death, inasmuch as he said, Moreover, I will endeavour that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. As to what Peter was referring to, that would serve as a reminder to them after his departure, the answer is, this epistle in its entirety, which is preserved for us in our Bibles. Just look at chapter 3 and verse 1, and you'll see Peter stirring up the pure minds of Christians by way of remembrance, as he encourages them to be mindful of what has been said by the prophets and the apostles concerning the second coming of Jesus. Reading and laying upon your heart such encouraging words of scripture is the sure way to counter those false teachers who scoffingly dismiss the coming again of Jesus. Beyond reading this short epistle, you would also need to regularly read the whole Bible in order to be reminded of what the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles have said so that you are not deceived by false teachers. Well, have a look at verses 16 through to 18. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honour and glory, when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice, which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. There are false teachers who relegate what the Bible says about the divine power and the second coming of Jesus to nothing more than fables or inventions or myths. However, Peter tells the readers, or rather he reminds them, that he and the other apostles were with Jesus. In fact, they were with him for three years and they beheld his divine majesty. That was the testimony of the apostle John as well. In John chapter 1 and verse 14, where he said, We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace 
and truth. Verses 17 and 18 refer to when three of the apostles were with the Lord on the Mount of Transfiguration, when his face shone like the sun and his clothes were as white as light, and they beheld something of his divine glory. When that happened, the voice from heaven spoke, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That event is recorded in Matthew, Mark and Luke's Gospel. Most, if not all of you, have probably read about it and heard sermons preached on it. Even so, just think for a moment about what happened on that mountain. And if you can appreciate something of what was seen and what was heard by those three apostles, including the Apostle Peter, never again will you entertain any teaching that denies that Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. Therefore, anything that you hear that contradicts or in some way undermines the testimony of the apostles and beyond that, the 66 books of the Bible, you are to reject. But to do that, you need to keep coming back to the scriptures, which, sad to say, we can so easily neglect to do. And you need to keep being reminded of the truth, including the truth of the second coming of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, which to some false teachers is nothing more than fairy tales. Having testified of what the apostles who were with Jesus for three years saw and heard, Peter goes on to consider the testimony of the Old Testament prophets concerning Jesus. Look at verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. When reading the King James Version of the Bible, Peter seems to be saying that Old Testament prophecy concerning Jesus is more reliable than his experiences and the experiences of the other apostles. That prophecy is more reliable than the testimony of what the apostles saw and what they heard, even on the Mount of Transfiguration. That is problematic inasmuch all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means that whatever is said by the New Testament apostles is just as reliable as what is said in the Old Testament prophecies. Then there are other Bible translations that seem to suggest in verse 19 that Old Testament prophecy concerning Jesus is seen to be fulfilled and confirmed by the experiences of the apostles. For example, in the New King James, King James Version, it is written, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns 
and the morning star rises in your hearts. With that understanding, the recorded experiences of the New Testament apostles confirm the Old Testament prophecies, but without those prophecies, there would be nothing to confirm. So what we have in the Bible is God's eternal decree enshrined in Old Testament prophecy and seen to be fulfilled in the New Testament. With regards to God's eternal decree, Jesus is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The sacrificial death of Jesus is vividly recorded in the Old Testament prophecies. For example, in the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5 it is written, But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. That often reminds me of a story of a young American Jew who was backpacking in Holland and who was invited to a Christian Bible study. Apparently, the prophecy of Isaiah was read to him and he was asked whom the prophecy referred to. He said, you're Jesus. And the others replied, yes, before pointing out that he had just been listening to Old Testament prophecy. Then in the New Testament, there are the eyewitness accounts of the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ in fulfilment of the Old Testament prophecies. As Jesus said to his apostles in Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, verses 46 through to 48, Thus it is written, in other words, thus it is written in Old Testament prophecy. And thus it behoved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things, speaking to his apostles Ye are witnesses. Also, when you consider what the apostles saw and what they heard on the Mount of Transfiguration, that points ahead to when Jesus shall come again in power and in glory. If you are a Christian, you are no doubt familiar with the teaching that Jesus is light in the darkness, that he is the light of the world, and that God made the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus shine in your heart when you first believed. However, here in verse 19, Peter describes Old Testament prophecy as light that shineth in a dark place. In other words, something of the light of the Lord Jesus Christ shines through the pages of Old Testament prophecies into this dark world of sin. And that light will continue to shine right up until Jesus comes again. Last of all, we come to verses 20 and 21, where it is written, 
knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Roman Catholicism has taken verse 20 to mean that any interpretation of prophecy must agree with what the Church, what the Roman Catholic Church, and ultimately the Pope say. I suppose that avoids having different explanations, such as can be found amongst the Protestant commentators, but it does nevertheless assume that the Pope is inerrant, which of course he is not. As far as the Roman Catholic Church is concerned, the Pope cannot err in his interpretations of God's holy word, and all other men whatsoever, relinquishing their own judgment, must rest upon the Pope's. It's not just Rome either. The other cults also rest upon the interpretations of their leaders, their false prophets and their governing bodies. Never mind what Rome and the others say. Verse 21 explains verse 20, where Peter says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. In other words, what prophecy is not of private interpretation means is that the predictions and the explanations of the prophets came not from themselves, but came from the from God, the Holy Spirit. Again, that applies equally to the New Testament apostles. All that they said was God-breathed as well, and that cannot be said of those charlatans who masquerade as apostles in our day and age. Neither can it be said of the so-called prophets of today. Last of all, there are even Old Testament prophecies that speak of the second coming of Jesus. It's not just the New Testament apostles. For example, in the Old Testament book of Job, chapter 19, verse 20 through to 27, Job said, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. So Job is calling his Redeemer God. And he goes on to say, Whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Despite satanic attacks, despite losing his family of seven sons and three daughters, and despite severe physical affliction, Job retained a certain hope that long after his death, he would nevertheless see his Redeemer with his own eyes in a glorified body. Also, Job's Redeemer is clearly spoken of as being both, both man 
and God. Clearly, Job was speaking prophetically about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, yet sad to say there are Christians who barely venture into the Old Testament. They are missing out on so much light, so much Jesus. I hope you're not one of those people. I don't know about you, but as I read what Job said, and as I apply it to myself, it thrills my heart to think that Jesus is coming again, and I shall see the Son of God, who loved me, and who laid down his life for me, as he bare away my sin. And mine eyes shall behold him, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.